from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hey, podcast listeners, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we're happy to be with you today. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Because I didn't know what to say next, but I'm going to come up with something. <laughs> All right, next thing to say is this. I got something to say. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, listeners. I was very blessed as I was going through our questions to read uh, just a, something that wasn't a question. It was just a little word of encouragement from oh, one of our listeners. I and like I words of encouragement. Oh, you might appreciate it, Christopher. Yeah. And All right. Here, here we it go. Is. This is from a listener named Sarah who said, Hi, Sarah. Dear Christopher and Wendy, there are many reasons I want to thank you both for the heavenly gift you've shared of yourselves. I know that God has a wonderful plan for each of us, and I'm overjoyed and greatly benefited that you accepted the invitation to pursue this vocation. My life has been that much more enjoyable having listened to your loving and guiding words, providing a new lens to view God's beauty. What touches me most about listening to your podcast is the way you both embody the masculine and feminine in your responses and the perfect complementarity that gives. I imagine God's design for man and woman as one entity broken into two halves to allow us to enjoy the other half, being bound back together by God's love for us. In my eyes, you two do a wonderful job loving each other and others in this way. You reveal your biological nature through your words and depiction of truth. I enjoy, Christopher, your straightforward and logically laid out answers. And in contrast to you, Wendy, and your answers, speaking often to the words unsaid and your ability to feel the person's sorrows, addressing them with a wise and motherly compassion. Both responses address different parts of the same story and together give a beautiful outlook. I'm deeply blessed by witnessing your example of his amazing design and hope to one day to also be an example of it, whether that be through marriage, single, or religious life. I ask for your prayers and hope to one day meet you, if not in this world, then gloriously in eternity. Well, won't that be special, Sarah, to meet each other? What a gift that will be. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing those thoughts. You know, uh, the thing that comes to my mind as I hear you read that, Wendy, is when I went to thank Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, who was a, a such a beautiful gift in my life, and I knew he was approaching the end of his life, and I just wanted to share with him how much I wanted him to know before he died what a tremendous blessing he had been to me. And I laid out, you know, much like this, line after line about how much he had blessed me, and, and his response was, and this is what's just resounding right now. He just said, that's the way it works. <laughs> and what he was saying was, I know how broken I am, and but that's the way it works. We, we open our broken humanity to the Lord, and he flows through our brokenness, and our, our weakness becomes a strength. And I, I, I hear Sarah receiving whatever's flowing through us, and it's like, well, that's the way it works. We know how broken we are. Mm. We know how hurt, how much we've hurt one another. We know how much we've hurt other people. We know how imperfect and we know our, our sinfulness. And, and yet we can say, Lord, we give it all to you. And we ask you please to work through 
these earthen vessels that we are to bless other people. And so we've we've blessed Sarah. Praise God. That's mm. the way it works. Mm. And yeah. all of you listeners out there, keep sharing the gift you have. Do not think your sinfulness, your weakness, your brokenness, so long as it is confessed and put in the light, right? Sinfulness, weakness, brokenness, imperfection is only an obstacle to God's grace in as much as we hide it, bury it, pretend it's not there. But if we open it to the light, put it in the light, and that's what confession is for, put it in the light, every detail of it, put it in the light. The very things that we think are the obstacles become, it's St. Paul, you know, that beautiful lesson, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Thank Mm. you, Lord. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Christopher, I'm wondering if you have any updates for us from the TUB Institute. I just want this week to encourage those out there who have not yet thought to order my latest book, which is called Eating the Sunrise, Meditations on the Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. If um, Maybe you're just hearing about this book for the first time. Uh, it's my latest book. It just came out, oh, a month and a half ago or something. Um and yeah, please consider reading it. It's it's my favorite book, I think, that I've ever written. Mm. And it will take you into what we could call the sacramentality of the world, how we can see the whole world that God has created as a sign that leads to the glory in heaven and how to live in this life the, the true path of appreciating Beauty, goodness, truth, eros, the cry of the heart for love, for union, for truth, goodness, and beauty, and how the liturgy itself reorients our disordered eros towards its true object of desire, which is God himself given to us as bread that we can actually eat. Hence the name Eating the Sunrise. We want to not just behold beauty, we want to take it in, we want to chew on it, we want to swallow it, we want it to become us, we want to become it. That's what Christianity is. So uh, check out the link below to learn more about my book. And there's a bonus chapter you can get that's not part of the printed book, but we can send you the PDF, uh, a bonus chapter on the link between the sexual chaos in the world, and the liturgical chaos in the world. Think about that. Both liturgical chaos and sexual chaos have coincided over the last 50, 60 years. Why is that? Well, in that bonus chapter that we will give you for free, you can learn more as to why that is. Awesome. You ready for a question from a patron? I am. This is from a patron named Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for your monthly support. So grateful to you. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. I'm 23, recently engaged, and my fiancé and I, for the last year and a half of our dating journey, have been soaking in TOB teachings via this podcast and your books. What we've learned has opened our eyes to church teaching and drawn us deeper into knowing and living our Catholic faith. My question has to do with our future relationship as husband and wife and our embrace after we are married. Even though I experience a deep ache to come together with him, I also experience a fear of being seen by him naked. 
Mm. I've struggled with an eating disorder and body image issues all my mm. life, mm. which I know can contribute to this fear. I sometimes stress about our wedding night because he will be seeing me in a way that he never has before. And I wonder if my naked body will be pleasing and beautiful to him. Mm. I have thoughts of doubt, like, will there be twinges of disappointment in him when the clothes that hide my more curvy parts are removed? Will there be a part of him that wishes I looked or felt different? In our discussions about this very fear, he is unbelievably reassuring. Praise God. He reminds me constantly that he loves me, not parts of me or the qualities I have. And yet I struggle. I so badly want my body to be a gift to him. I yearn for the freedom to fully open to him in our future embrace without the desire to hide. I want to come together with joy and not fear, fully trusting that he sees beauty in my nakedness. Do you have any suggestions for how I might mentally, emotionally, or physically prepare for our embrace? Any recommendations to help me love my body more so that I may also let him love my body more? Wow, wow, wow. Elizabeth, you have shared yourself so beautifully, so vulnerably. I'm sure there's not a single person listening who cannot relate to at least something you've shared. It's just the human journey, isn't it? I, I know for myself that the deepest question in my life, the deepest fear in my life, am I lovable? When all the masks are removed, when all the fig leaves are removed, when all the attempts that I, I use to win people's approval, when I am stripped and forced to stand up naked before reality itself, am I lovable? Am I seen? Am I known? Am I honored? Am I desirable? Am I worthy? And I know I'm not the only person who asked this question or, or is fearful about it. This is just the human condition. I mean, this is you're, – you're, you are giving us such an insight into the very dynamic of our humanity in this fallen world. The first expression of humanity in a fallen world is this. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Yeah. And what is that fear? That fear is, am I lovable? Am I lovable? What alone can cast out that fear? It's right in the scripture. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, as your fiance, as you've already shared, he loves you beautifully. He really does love you beautifully from what you've shared but he doesn't love you perfectly. So we have to be honest and recognize that some of that fear is not unwarranted. Right? You again, you this man loves you beautifully. The re the reinforcement he's given you and the encouragement he's given you uh, that you don't need to be afraid there, that's all beautiful. It's a sign of his good heart. But again, he's he's not perfect. Uh, Wendy, I know my love for you is not perfect. And here we are married 28 years together. Mm -hmm. And I know you can't possibly say to me 
that you can be 100% naked without shame in my presence. Mm. It's just not, it's not this, it's not the reality of this fallen world. We're striving for that. We desire that. I desire to be naked before you. I know you desire to be naked before me. But we're, we're all like onions and there are layers to that nakedness. Mm. And the nakedness, the sheer nakedness of another human being we can't bear. We can't, we can't handle the glory. I mean, that's the truth of it. In our fallen state, we can't handle the glory. The grace of the sacrament of marriage enables us to handle that glory, so to speak, but still and rightly so. And I think this is true even if the world had not fallen. There are dimensions of nakedness that are yet to be discovered in our marriage of 28 years. Mm. There are dimensions of your heart, Wendy, that I don't yet know, which means it's exciting to think as we continue our lives together that there will be places in your heart that I discover that I've not yet discovered. That's very, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's what, that's what makes marriage such a grand adventure when you are seeking those ever deeper layers of nakedness, of, of revealing those ever deeper layers of your humanity to the other. All of that to say, what is it all to say? I don't even, what was I talking about? How did we get here? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm having is this a senior to be moment. Edited or is this? No, no, we don't have to edit this. I, I just need to recover. What... <laughs> you were talking about her fear and. Her fear, yes. Perfect love casts out fear. Your husband to be has a beautiful love, he doesn't have a perfect love. So, what does that say? You need to learn, dear Elizabeth. To take, I, I want to rewind. The way I said that, you need to learn. It sounded like I was like on a soapbox or scolding you or something. No, that's not my heart at all. The invitation from the gospel for all of us, and that means you as well, Elizabeth, is to learn to take that most vulnerable fear in your heart and open it to your true bridegroom who does love you perfectly. There is a danger in a good marriage, and Wendy and I have experienced this. Uh, there's a danger in a good marriage that we, we end up idolizing the other. Because the other loves us so well, we can, we can begin to think, this is the love I've been looking for. This is it. Uh, the love we're looking for, the only love that can perfectly cast out that fear. What fear? I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. The only love that can cast out that fear perfectly is the love of Jesus Christ. So the journey for each and every one of us, the journey for each and every one of us is the journey from I was, af I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself, to I was at peace because I knew he loved me, so I exposed myself. I will add this, just from the male perspective, there is a perfect love available to us from a woman. That's Mary, the new Eve. And we need that complementarity, right? I, I, need, I need in my life, and Wendy, you, you do it so well, but you're not perfect at it. Mm -hmm. I need the love of a perfect woman. And there's only one, that's Mary. And there are places in my heart that I need to learn to expose to her before I can learn how to expose them to you, Wendy. And in knowing that Mary has received me there perfectly, mm. 
it enables me to come to you knowing you may or may not receive me as well as she did. And even if you don't, it's okay, because in my prayer, I do have the experience of that perfect love. And we can go the other direction for a, a wife and her husband, right? Wendy, you, you are worthy of perfect love, and the only way you can be totally naked is in the presence of perfect love, which means you have to learn how to take your heart to Jesus. And in as much as you take your heart to Jesus, you're learning also in the right ways, in the appropriate ways, to bring your heart to your imperfect husband. Um, so there's, there's, there's a real need for mercy uh, in the spousal relationship because we're not going to love one another perfectly. But even there, in knowing that your husband-to-be is not perfect and him knowing that you're not perfect in this, but also knowing that there is a perfect love, that the sacrament of marriage is a channel of that perfect love, the channel of grace, right, as a sacrament. In learning how to show that mercy to one another in our imperfections, that mercy comes precisely by learning how to open those vulnerable places to the one who loves us perfectly. Somewhere in the mix of all that is what's called living marriage as a sacrament. I was kind of struck at toward the end of your question, Elizabeth, when you asked if we had any suggestions for how you might mentally, emotionally, or physically prepare. I thought, how interesting just to kind of parse those out as different avenues um, to look at. And that, that really kind of struck me and has had me kind of pondering if I might say something to each of those um, sp- specifically in preparing for your marital embrace. So when I think about the, the mental preparation, I, oh, something I just want to share with you is a perspective that if your sense of your body was that it is perfectly pleasing and you are coming to your marriage with a perfectly pleasing body by some standard you believe in, (laughs) um, how would that help you to believe that your imperfect self is truly loved? Mm. So that's, that's a mental, just a thought for you that perhaps you could recognize that we need to know that we don't have to be perfect to be loved. That's not just a physical truth. That's about our whole being. Amen. A, a very, very important key to living marriage is knowing that I do not need to be perfect in order to be loved, and my beloved doesn't have to be perfect. So to just ponder that, in what way is whatever way I see my body as imperfect, how does that help me to live that truth that I don't have to be perfect in order to be loved? Um, It also would be good to reflect on the fact that even if on your wedding night you thought you were perfectly lovable or beautiful or whatever it is we're looking for, you could pretty much guarantee that if you have a long enough marriage, your body will change in some way, and you would have to live in fear of that. Right. So we probably don't want that scenario as well. So those are some mental preparations I've 
thought of that could be helpful. Emotionally, I think, you know, as a person, as you said, you've struggled with an eating disorder and body image issues. So you have been on quite a journey. And if you've struggled with them, I know that also means you've experienced God's grace in your life. So emotionally, I think, to ask yourself whether any of these fears that are coming up right now are reminding you of things that have happened in the past mm-hmm. that you could open up to the Lord to meet you in memories or in experiences, maybe comments that were hurtful, that were scary, that you could invite him into those memories to to speak truth into your heart where lies about your lovability have entered. And maybe you can't point to specifics, but in some general thing that you've absorbed that um, if you could ask the Lord to to speak to your heart. Christopher was talking about needing that perfect love. This is such an avenue to experiencing Christ's perfect love for you when he speaks the truth of who you are and how he sees you into your heart in prayer. And physically, I just want to challenge you to consider not dieting. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but a lot of brides feel a pressure. I need to be on this strict diet before my wedding. Well, I'm not going to tell you that it's wrong or sinful to be on a strict diet, but it is something to consider whether um, whether it would be more peaceful for you to just live your time of preparation for your marriage without pressuring yourself through some physical behavior that is kind of encouraging that anxiety about your body. But to live a healthy life, not, I'm not telling you to be living unhealthily, but to not kind of allow yourself to get physically so engaged with what is my body like that I have to be some kind of, I don't know, unrealistic expectation that is certainly put on us by the wedding industry and not at all helping us to prepare to truly receive the sacrament that, um, and the graces that the Lord has for us there. So those are some thoughts that came to me because you laid it out that way, and I don't know if all of them are applicable, but that's just what I wanted to share with you. I'm just so aware, Wendy, as you share your perspective, and, and this is a great example of just things that you see in a question that I didn't pick up on. and. Uh, just hearing you share from your heart, I'm reminded of the real spiritual battle that we are involved in here when it comes to the way we understand our bodies. And make no mistake, there is an enemy who hates our bodies, and he wants us to hate our bodies as much as he does. And oh, how successful he has been. Uh, I would encourage you in terms of preparing for your wedding night and your fiance seems like such a good man. I'm, I'm imagining he would be wide open to this. But to enter directly with the Lord, never on your own, uh, but with the Lord, with the spiritual tools he has given us to fight the enemy here. There is an enemy who wants us to hate our bodies and we have been deeply, deeply impacted by his lies. And you can stand together in preparing for your wedding night 
just praying the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer of deliverance from the evil one. Deliver mm-hmm. us from not just evil. That's sadly the way it's been translated. But what Christ said is deliver us from the evil one. Uh, deliver us from the, the enemy and his lies. Uh, you can stand together uh, praying the Lord's Prayer, praying the St. Michael the Archangel Prayer, just putting prayers in your own words, uh, saying things like, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that fill in the blank. It might be the lie that I'm unlovable as I am. Or in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that my body, because it looks doesn't look like such and such, makes me unlovable. Whatever those lies are, that, that we have believed, that prevent us or keep us from knowing we're loved as we are, to name those lies and in the name of Jesus, renounce those lies. That can be a very powerful way of entering into uh, a more liberated state where we are free with the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Mm, amen. Our next question is from a listener named Micah. Hello, Micah. I don't know if you've addressed this question before, but I wonder what the church would say about medical infertility. I'm on testosterone replacement and have been for years, not for recreational reasons, but to treat an actual deficiency. This effectively makes a man sterile by hormonal negative feedback. For my wife and I to conceive, I had to take fertility injections for quite some time. We do not use any contraception, but also assume I am medically sterile again since we had our son. We aren't actively preventing children by contraception, but we aren't taking extraordinary measures to restore fertility either. It's a somewhat unique situation, but I'm sure there are other men in this boat. Uh, Micah, thank you for that question. And I think I can share something that will bring some clarity to what can be a confusing area. Uh, If one is taking a medication, as you are, and it is medically necessary and it's improving your health, and there is the unintended side effect that you are rendered infertile, the key word is unintended side effect, then you are not guilty of rendering yourself sterile, right? You are accepting an unintended side effect of a medically necessary medication. Um, However, something to take to prayer, something to talk through with your wife, uh, something maybe to talk with a confessor about or a trusted spiritual director would be to work through where is your intention, are you finding your heart like glad that you are infertile, kind of entering into it with your will, like, oh, good, we couldn't get pregnant tonight anyway because I'm on this medication. Where is that line in, in the heart where the will gets involved and it's no longer unintended? Uh, that's a gray area. That's something that, that you need to discover with prayer, conversation, guidance from a trusted confessor or spiritual director. Um, and I wouldn't be able to help you with that directly because I don't know any more information than, than what you've shared with us here. It seems to me your heart is in the right place. The only, the only place where I, I sensed a little caution was, how did he say it? We're not doing anything 
to to restore the fertility either or something along those lines. We aren't taking extraordinary measures to restore fertility. Yeah, and you don't need to take take extraordinary measures. But here might be a test of your heart, Micah. I would suggest this as just a way to keep your heart honest. To live as if you were if if you are in a situation where you are needing to avoid another conception or or have just reason, as the church says, we need to have just reason to avoid a conception, right? If you believe you have just reason to avoid a conception, even though you know you are infertile because of this medication you're on, live as if you were practicing natural family planning. And that would mean taking about 10 to 12 days a month of, of, of abstinence, right? That would be, if you are willing to do that, if you're like, okay, yeah, that okay, we're going to live as if we were practicing natural family planning that would be an indication that your heart is in the right place. And I say this to couples anyway. I say this to couples even when they have no reason to be avoiding a conception. That should not mean, oh, we just have intercourse every day of the week for the whole year. Um, I say to couples, even when you want to conceive a child, be working times of abstinence into your relationship because that ability to say no is assuring that when you come together, you are genuinely saying yes, and you're not just responding to uh, an inclination that you can't control, right? If, you're, if you cannot say no, your yes means nothing. So that would be my invitation to you. Agree as a husband and a wife. Uh, this would not be something to impose on a spouse, of course, but if you can come to a place of agreement as husband and wife as a, for a time of abstinence each month, as if you did have a need to abstain to avoid a child, that would be an indication that your heart is certainly in the right place. Mm. And I, I think it's um, maybe just important to say that that's sort of counsel, but not like morally Correct. required. Correct. That is, a, that is right, Wendy. That is a, a counsel, a suggestion from me. It's not morally required. What is morally required is self-mastery and sincerity of heart and not entering into willfully intending the sterility. That is required, but it is not required, what I'm saying, that you abstain for 10 or 12 days a month. It's a counsel that I'm suggesting as a way of, of keeping your heart in the light. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have much to add to that. I, I certainly actually kind of looked up not kind of, I looked up, oh, I didn't know this about testosterone replacement and wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So I'm kind of thankful for Micah's question because it caused me to know about something. I used to be a nurse and I do get sort of interested in some of those more, um, the medical things. And, and it can be surprising because testosterone is associated with fertility to know that, well, when we bring it in artificially, it kind of interrupts the normal processes of um, testosterone and other hormone production in the body that relate to the development of sperm. And just what I learned about it is that it's, um, it's not necessarily 100%, you know, that a person is sterile because of taking that, supp uh, that supplemental testosterone. But um, yeah, it is, it's a challenging thing for a, a couple that 
would desire children and to have this need for this testosterone. I'm certainly rejoice with you, Micah, and your wife that you were able to conceive a child um, and, you know, grateful for the success of that. And, and just to know also that 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 treatment that helped you to conceive naturally is also an acceptable thing. You know, sometimes people get fearful of any kind of right, treatment right. related to fertility. So all of that, um, I just, I learned about it. I'm grateful to have learned about it and um, certainly pray for you, Micah, and any couple that's facing this particular challenge of um, needing to take something that causes sterility. Um, all the unique challenges that you have as a couple that you maybe feel a little bit alone in that, you know, not many people in the world um, in everyday conversation are sharing about these things. And, um, and yet, you know, and your unique calling in your relationship is to learn how to be truly loving, to grow in virtue, to remain grateful the, for the Lord and His purpose in your union and to continually discern, especially, you know, should we again undergo treatment? Should we um, pursue that? So all of that, we pray that the Lord is close to you both uh, and in your marriage in this particular challenge. Amen. Our next question is from Rachel. Hello, Rachel. I'm looking for resources to put in the hands of my seventh grade students' parents for how to talk to their kids about sex before we begin our unit on Theology of the Body. Are there specific podcasts of yours I could provide to them about this topic or resources you recommend? Actually, I do have a resource for you. You would need to join the patron community uh, to have access to it, but we just recently added in our patron community list of resources a series on presenting Theology of the Body to middle schoolers, and it would be a great thing for parents to be well-versed in as their children are going through, it sounds like some curriculum that includes Theology of the Body, which is wonderful. This would be a great way to introduce parents into the themes that their children will also be being exposed to. And you could also suggest to your parish that they join the Awaken program, we'll have the link in the show notes as well, where you can have access to all of those benefits at a parish level. So you could check that out. But get these parents exposed in one way or another to the theology of the body. Maybe you could do um, a book study on theology of the body for beginners. Maybe you could do a book study on the Q&A book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. That might even be better place to start. I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Should people start with Theology of the Body for Beginners or the Q&A book? People generally like, generally like a Q&A format to, to access content and new information. So assess that yourself. But one way or another, expose these people to Theology of the Body. Are there any specific podcast episodes? This is a project we actually need to take on at the Institute, is cataloging and maybe coming up with with uh, playlists uh, under certain topics of all of our podcasts. We have, what is this, episode 265? Yeah. So we have 265 episodes. 
if anybody out there listening, you want to volunteer to catalog <laughs> all of our episodes so that we could answer a question like this more accurately and say, yes, here's the playlist from all of the episodes of the of this show where we address pertinent topics to for parents of seventh graders, you know, things like that. That could be helpful. One resource I would suggest also part of the patron community or the Awaken program for the parishes is a series of talks I did called Beyond the Talk. Um, so, and the subtitle is something like Sharing God's Glorious Plan for Sexuality with Your Children. Something along those lines. You'll find it in the patron community. Get that exposed to these parents. Get them talking. Get them immersed. You cannot give what you do not have. Uh, also part of the patron community is several series, like video series on the theology of the body. Sex, God, and the Meaning of Life would be a great place to start as a series. Um, there's also a series in there called Fulfilled, which is demonstrating how the theology of the body illuminates the whole of our faith. We go through the creed in that. Just start with any one of those series and do it with these parents to get them immersed in this vision. Uh, the more the parents are immersed in it, the more it'll flow out of them to their children. Mm, absolutely. I think, Rachel, I want to commend you for um, teaching Theology of the Body to seventh grade students. And I just want you to know that teaching anything to seventh graders can be challenging. And uh, just because they're in such a time of transition and can be um, really hesitant to show their responses to things. I think that's a challenge with seventh graders. You know, with younger kids, they can just be so open and ready to respond and react to things. And there's a certain reluctance in, in that age and stage to show what they're thinking and feeling. And that can be so intimidating. So I just want to encourage you, Rachel, as you are sharing things that are um so important for them to hear, and yet they might feel embarrassed to show any kind of interest at all, just to to keep going, to know that this is such an important topic and that what you're sharing is really life-changing realities. And just something I want to share with you also is that it can be so easy to... Um, Think to get kind of bogged down if they if they do ask questions that seem to challenge or embarrass you in some way, Rachel. It can kind of just easily get you off track. I just want to encourage you that what you're holding out is the positive option, and how many people are holding that out. All we're in our culture is giving us is this view of sexuality that is really distorted, really distorted. And that positive option that you're holding out, if you just keep coming back to that as a teacher, keep coming back, like if, especially if you're feeling like something didn't go well or they're, you know, whatever, just those uncomfortable things. I say this to parents as well, to remember that positive option, that option of understanding our bodies as a gift from the Lord that has profound meaning that enables us to be a gift to one another. So thank you, Rachel, for being a teacher, for being a witness, for living this in your own life, and for caring about these kids enough to reach out 
for resources for their parents. I hope that other listeners also have benefited from what we've shared about today. And maybe you want to share this with someone else. Maybe you heard something that someone else needs to hear. And we encourage you to use that feature where you share a podcast episode with the person that's on your mind and heart right now. And in sharing, we actually become a gift because that's what we are, as we always say at the end of our podcasts. You are indispensable. You are irreplaceable. You are unrepeatable. Become what you are. Amen. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 